Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Yes, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, internet, (laughs) featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video and audio interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Yes, there are. We've got great articles in there by Jennifer Paris. She's got a wonderful essay every month, plus a guest author, plus, of course, my my um, thrice-weekly column, all about creativity and spirituality, my current conversation with the one and only Donald Moss, literary agent and wonderful writing teacher. He of writing the breakout novel, that great um I don't know how to book, I guess, for novelist. Very popular. I know a lot of writers who swear by it. Anyway, we were on, we had a great conversation at the PWA's conference, and it's all on there. Check it out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And I mentioned it last week. I mentioned it again. They're doing. You know, they have a great conference in September. They'll have another one in 2020. In September of 2020, and you know it's one of the best conferences in the entire country every year. All kinds of writers, lots of agents and editors and workshops. But Donald Moss will be there. I'll be there. But uh, you know, if you know you're going to be there, do yourself a favor. Sign up for their Leap of Faith. Yeah, you get 100 bucks off the conference, and you get an extra pitch session if you're going to be pitching your story to agents and editors. Wait, what more do you want? You know, believe in yourself. Take a leap of faith. Do it. At PNWA.org. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing much happening with me. It's a quiet time of year. Quiet. Waiting to hear about things. Uh, I'm in that stage right now. It's okay, though. It's okay. My agent says, patient, Bill. Patience. Uh, I don't have enough of it, but but I got enough. I, I could I, Just enough to get me through. So uh, nothing much going on. I'll be doing some stuff in the winter, and I'll tell you all about it when I do. But in the meantime, nothing to report. But I can tell you that I'm glad. I got today's guest, Carmen Gentile. On Carmen, interesting guy, Carmen is. He has written for some of the world's leading publications, including the New York Times, Time Magazine, Newsweek, USA Today, and many others. He's also produced online video reporting for the Times and Time. He also regularly produces radio reports and has published numerous photos of his work. He's covered both the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, embedding with soldiers in the front line. His work has also taken him to Nigeria where he reported on the continuing unrest in the oil-rich Niger Delta. In September 2010, Carmen was shot by a rocket-propelled grenade while reporting on U.S. and Afghan forces in eastern Afghanistan. Following a lengthy recovery, he returned to Afghanistan, resumed embed reporting for USA Today and others, and he has chronicled that experience in 2010 in a fabulous memoir called Blindsided by the Taliban, a journalist's story of war, trauma, love, and loss. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Carmen, Carmen, you've written a book. You wrote a book and you published it. Uh, it struck me reading it that um, I've known a lot of journalists who have um, gone from being journalists really a hard journalist you weren't doing you were doing is that the term we use hard journalism as opposed to sort of sure sure piece of interest and that sort of thing 
where really the journalist is really not the person writing it really shouldn't be present. He's really you are not shouldn't sort of make your presence known much. Is that fair mm-hmm. assessment of journalism you were doing? Yes, I would say right? so. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the real, it's the, it's the yeah. inverted pyramid kind of thing. And but then you wrote go to a memoir, and the journalist I know a memoir found it at, many of them found it very difficult, where suddenly they had to use first person pronoun, and it was about their feelings and what they're going. Through. I got to tell you, in reading this, I got the sense that that wasn't as big a problem for you. Is that true or or not? You know, not having that opportunity to do that uh, in my regular work, to put myself in the story or to tell it from my perspective or to insert my own take on a story um, was something I really wanted to do throughout the course uh-huh. of my career. Um, really? And having that opportunity, yeah, having that opportunity to really um, dig deep within myself and and tell the story not just from the perspective of the folks on the ground that I'm interviewing but from my perspective was was a treat um I I I felt like I had been uh having when I was in the writing process in retrospect I was looking at it and thinking wow I I feel like I've been um hampered in in some way from from really painting a full portrait of, of what's going on in these places because there's, I've never been in the story. Not that right. my, my presence is integral, but I feel as though I'm there and I have an impact on it, whether I like it or not. So that being in the story to me felt like the most authentic reporting I'd ever done. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Um, you're journalist, and So, uh, you know, the book tells a, it kind of briefly deals with your sort of life story, not too much, but some stuff that came before the, the event. Um, and you, I mean, you were kind of a screw off in a way as a young guy, you were, well, you got, you got, I mean, you, the way you painted it, you were kind of like, not sure what to do. You got hooked on heroin for a while. And even though you managed to graduate college, I don't know how you did that, but you did. And so it sounded like you weren't like one of these type A super focused kind of college young people that a lot of the writers I know are. You were kind of a little lost. Is that fair? That is being very generous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, The fact of the matter is that it took me seven years to graduate with a philosophy degree and a minor in Islamic studies. Uh, Those are usually not your best, your best and brightest. (laughs) Right. Uh, to get a bachelor's degree um, and after seven years. Um, I was lost, and not that I, I have perfect sight on my direction now, but right. uh, comparatively, yes, I was, I was a very lost, troubled young man. I didn't know what I wanted to, wanted to do. I didn't know who I wanted to be. I knew that I had this predilection for bad behavior and – and risk taking that really didn't amount to anything other than, um, you know, a bad, uh, a, a rap sheet of bad decisions and, and, a, and a couple of mug shots. But right. um, other than that, I I didn't know until I I decided to um, extricate myself from that situation when I was living in Philadelphia and after I'd graduated from school and I had nothing going and I moved to Egypt in the late nineties. Uh, on a whim of sorts because a professor had said, Hey, you studied Arabic. There's a school there that might interest you. And I went and I, because I didn't see my life going anywhere 
uh, as it as it was unfolding in my mid twenties, and I went, and that's how I got my career started. How did that lead to journalism again? Remind me. Well, how I did that- I went to. I went to work at a – I found a newspaper in Cairo, uh, an English language weekly, and I talked myself onto the staff, and uh-huh. uh, that's how I started, I started working uh, in journalism. I had done a couple of internships at smaller newspapers while I was in right. college, but I was never really focused on it. I never – I didn't know what I wanted to do. In college, I had this, va- this vague idea that I wanted to, quote, unquote, write – and see the world, and I wanted writing to pay for my travels in some capacity. Uh, but that's all I knew. Right. I, knew I, I, oh. I longed for excitement and adventure, but I didn't know how to get there, and I just sort of stumbled into it when I when I moved to, to Egypt, and 20 years later, here wow. or so, here I am. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, you in, in college, even though you had a sense that you wanted, because I mean, you studied philosophy and the, the link between the philosopher mm-hmm. and the writer. I mean, most philosophers write. Uh, sure. and, or and most writers are philosophical. It's not you know it's a simple it's a common overlap there. Uh, but you were already mm-hmm. thinking about writing, just however vaguely. But it was floating around your head. It wasn't it, this. It wasn't when you started doing the journalism. It wasn't like, geez, I actually like to use words. You were already thinking in that way a little bit at least. Right, that's correct. I was thinking in that sense, but I hadn't really. I hadn't decided whether or not I wanted that writing to take the form of journalism or I wanted it to be um, more along the lines of, of narrative, uh, nonfiction or fiction or whatever. Right. I, I wasn't sure. But right. I fell into this, this reporting because I'd had that experience. It gave me an opportunity to stay over there and a little bit of money, and it really opened my eyes to a much bigger world. Because, uh, funny enough, all that time I was I was spending, uh, you know, studying, uh, you know, German existentialism and modes of being in a finite temporal <laughs> scheme and whatnot. I really wasn't reading the newspaper all that much, and I had no right. idea what was going on in the world. In fact, right. somebody had asked me right before I remember this very distinctly at the time, 1998. Someone had asked me, "Who's the president of Egypt?" And I was getting on the plane, and I thought I I didn't I had no idea. I had to look it up when I got there. I had no idea what I was doing. And, and wow. you know, a couple months later, I was a reporter. Uh, you know, wow. a lot of fake it till you make it, but that's, that's what happened. Wow. So you really learned, you know, and, you know, people can go to school for writing. I didn't, uh, but some people do, but I, I don't, there's no way to learn to write, but writing. And I would think journalism, I'm sure that's you can go true. to school for it, but you just learned by doing it, obviously. You just right, gonna... right. I, I, I've never taken a journalism course in my life. Uh, I don't right. have a degree in journalism. I don't have an advanced degree. I'm of the opinion that journal. Oh, I'm going to get a whole lot of flack from this. No, uh, no, go uh, ahead, do uh, it, journalism... do it. <laughs> <laughs> journalism school to me is the equivalent of bartending school. It's just uh, <laughs> you, you learn it by doing it. That's I don't, right. I don't see the value in it. I think the, the the value in journalism school and going to a top journalism school is being attached to the people that are the editors who are the top, you know, at the top publications. You're you're spending a hundred thousand bucks on a, on a letter of introduction so you can get that first Ooh. that first great job. I guess you may be right. because you're going to learn oh, it. Totally. No one, I'm, you're going to yeah. learn it. That's true. I. I did bartend for yeah. quite a long time, and I, I thought it was so strange that there was a school that would teach you how to do that. Uh, yeah. So, right. um, yeah. why do, so okay, so, but you started doing it, and you must have liked it. I mean, you must have. I mean, it, it, journalism is unique for writing because you really, especially the kind of journalism you did, because you're really having to go do stuff. You're having to show up 
and be somewhere and see people dead possibly or traumas. And so you are, you could, you can be adventurous if you want to be. And it sounds like you were, uh, and then you have to write about it. So you must've liked that combination. Yeah, I did. I, I had that zeal for wanting to, to go on epic, sometimes ill-conceived uh, adventures and then write about it. But I really didn't have the, uh, the guidance that I could have used from like a mentor or at least somebody that could have said to me, okay, this is a, an idea about how you might want to uh, shape some of that. So now I might be just negating everything I said about journalism school. Um, but the, <laughs> I, I just wasn't sure about what it is I, I, I still wanted to do. In fact, right. I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do until I wrote this book. And I wrote this, I started writing it in 2014. Really? No, I, I, you know, I, I'd been in journalism at that point for 17 years and I really had 16 years and I really just wasn't sure what it is that I was, was trying to accomplish. Um, I knew that I, like I said, I started my career. I wanted to travel and I wanted writing to pay for it, but I, I didn't occur to me in my mid twenties that I wanted to cover conflict or I wanted to right. cover the you know people in, in distress in the developing world. That never, that never occurred to me. I just sort of, um, because of the, where I was living in the middle East and then I went on to live in Latin America and, and elsewhere, those kind of stories just, I fell into them, uh, and, I, and, I, and I realized that I had a knack for them because I have a certain penchant for being able to operate at a very high level in a chaotic situation. Uh, you know, I don't know. It surprised yeah, I don't me. consider myself – yeah, go ahead. About embedded is – and I didn't really understand until I read your book, and then I watched the video. We'll get into the video have the event itself. You actually are right. – Filming in, in real time, which is remarkable. How right. that is is an interesting way of saying you're just intense and you're one of the soldiers just shooting, but you but you're marching. Right. I don't. I didn't picture. Somehow, I always pictured the embedded journalist as somehow in a that you are clear. Did you're just, just there? Uh, and while you may have, they may not want to kill you, the journalist. There's not much difference in the soldiers. You're just walking right. Where you might as well be the last platoon in a way. That yeah, you know, I, yeah, you know what? It all depends on the situation. Uh, depends on the, the the men and women in the unit, or it depends on uh, your relationship with them. You know, I, having done this a lot, I have been able to uh, get a handle on on the the culture and the and the way in which the military operates, and I know how to exist in that world. Uh, mm-hmm. I also attribute part of that to my upbringing in Western PA where a lot of folks uh, from the military are drawn in from, you know, from the Rust Belt and Appalachia. Right. So right. I, I know, I know those are my people. Um, I, right. We, I can talk about things other than, you know, my journalism or uh, <laughs> right. even what's going on in the war. You know, most of the time I spend with, with, with um, soldiers and Marines, I, we're not even talking about what they're doing. They just want to, have a, a fresh set of ears that they can they can talk to about whatever is of interest to them, and you know, be it sports or movies or you know who they're missing back home. And I, I just speak that language, uh, and I think right. that, that's one of my one of my advantages. So journalism is really uh, like the hard journalism. Um, 
stuff you'll do in like PQ or Esquire, where the journalist, the mm-hmm. is really much, it's almost part of the interview. The journalism you were talking about, this is what you just point to sort of the events. That's as sort of outside in kind of right, because you've got to simply paint what happened with this in as quick and clear language as possible. And because the reader wants to know, find out what the hell is going on. But different, uh, which is really where the waters that I swim in now, which even though you're mm-hmm. writing about your own life, I, I see it very much as an inside writing experience. You're having to go within yourself to tell the story. You're having to go within your own story, within your own felt experience of what happened, within your own, what it is you expressed as opposed to what trying to get what happened. Um, did, did when you um, find that I talked a little bit about the, but did you discover some things as you went into write as opposed to just sort of looking outward to write? You know, uh, there's the old adage about staring into the abyss until the abyss stares back. <laughs> um, I part of the writing process for me was um, I needed to figure out how to 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 look inward. And I, and of course I don't do anything half asked. I sort of go right. all asked in on everything <laughs> that I, I'm really passionate about. So in this instance, what I did was I left my uh, home and my then girlfriend at the time we had split up and I went and I rented this um, rickety old cabin in the woods uh, in the Appalachian mountains, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. And I spent four months, hammering out hammering out uh, a large portion of the book by myself uh living in uh-huh. this place where there was very little internet connection or phone reception and nobody around um to talk to and i just would wake up every morning i would write as much as i could that day go for a long walk in the woods come home and read and um go to bed and i lived a very wow. monastic life in that sense for about four months and everyone thought i was nuts i mean i thought i was <laughs> nuts i was going crazy and i was going crazy doing that i don't recommend that you just drop out of society for four months even though that's no. uh you know what i did but i it, it felt necessary because i like i like i said i never had that opportunity to go out um, and and really examine my my career and, and my path from my personal perspective, and I really wanted to do that. And I wanted to write it in a way that was uh, conversational and inviting to the reader. And so I had to find that that voice. I knew I had it in there somewhere, and I and I uh, I found it in the first couple of days. I was like, okay, this is it. I know this is how I I tried to write it in a way that I think. And I tried to, uh, you know, even when there was a part of the narrative where I'm talking to myself, it's apparent that I'm actually, you know, doing that and I and uh, probably revealing that I have some sort of deep seated mental disorder because I do talk to myself quite a bit. Um, uh, You and me both. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, it, it was it was illuminating in that sense. And like I said before, I never had that opportunity. Once I had it, I just couldn't get enough of it. And so a lot of of what I've been writing since has been able to draw on that voice and has really opened up me up uh, as a writer and as a, and as a journalist. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you did a nice job with your voice. It's an interesting thing because it's funny. You have a good sense of humor and you let the sense of humor come out, but I thought you did a good, 
a good job of not not making not allowing the the humor to overtake the the narrative because sometimes when we fall into a voice like that we sort of sometimes avoid the truth for a joke a little bit if 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 we have if sort of if we can't tell the truth humorously we we opt for the joke instead as a way of avoiding mm-hmm. sometimes talking about certain things but I felt you did a nice balance mm-hmm. of allowing yourself to be funny because that seems to be your natural voice because, you know I can I get that from talking to you um, but also talking seriously about your relationships and your fears and and your life. And so that was good. That's not actually that easily done. So uh, kudos to you. I'm not sure there's a question in there, but uh, I, I recognize it, and I've not seen as many people be able to pull it off to get both some vulnerability and sort of, I don't know, tough guy humor, you might call it. Do you like that? Is that fair? Are you tough guy humor? <laughs> is that what you um, are? The funny, well, you know what the funny thing is? I, I, I feel as though – um, perhaps in some circles of uh, my profession that my uh, casual, I wouldn't, not casual, but uh, self-deprecating and dark humor as it pertains to my own predicaments and perhaps uh, journalism as a whole doesn't um, perhaps rub some people the wrong way. Like I'm, I'm being disrespectful <laughs> to, the, right. to the craft, right. which I'm, I don't mean it to be that way. Uh, I just have a really hard time uh, taking myself too seriously. I take the work very seriously, but myself, you know, I, I you can't have a, a murderer's row resume of idiocy like the way that I do and take yourself very seriously. I just, you know, the, as, and I don't want to ruin it for the for the readers, but, you know, even in my more uh, lucid state of uh, adulthood where I don't use drugs or alcohol, I still manage to do really stupid things. Um, so how could I um, not use that voice? Because that is my voice and, and speak truth to my own stupidity. That's that's what I sought to do. <laughs> speak truth to stupidity. That's a bumper sticker. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so so the story, what's interesting, I referenced this a little bit earlier, and I was uh, scoping around your website. And um, this is a memoir about, so the, the main event, the big sort of the pivotal event in this is you are hit in the face by a rocket launch a rocket propelled grenade that does not explode or else you wouldn't be talking to me. Um, but you do end up losing an eye, but the event, you actually have the moment leading up to it. And this is, I mentioned this because memoirs don't usually have the things they're writing about recorded, uh, video recorded to, to write about. Um, and so, but you did, you actually have it up until the moment it hits you, right? Isn't that, aren't, isn't the tape rolling when it happens? That is correct. I was Jeez. shooting video as well. It's part of my, um, uh, uh, part of what I do in, in my uh, journalism. I uh, primarily I'm a writer, but I also shoot video and photos and and do radio as well. And I was shooting video and uh, talking to some young men and uh, sitting on the side of the road in this very rural village, a few miles from the Pakistani border in the mountains of eastern Afghanistan. And I'm talking to these guys, and I knew something was wrong. I could just tell. You spent enough time in these right. places. I was just had a really hinky vibe that something was up. And I'm talking to them, and I see their eyes grow really wide. And I hear this whooshing sound from behind me, and I turn around. And the camera's still trained on them, but I t- sort of turn, my sh- turn to the right. And I look yep. down the road about 30 yards, and there's a guy shouldering a rocket-propelled grenade launcher, and the ordinance is flying right at me. There's a conical tip is growing larger. That trail of smoke is behind it. And then in those nanoseconds between the 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 firing and, and uh, uh, the arrival of the rocket, I thought, well, this is it. I'm dead. 
I went from right. sheer panic to resignation that I was going to die in a matter of uh, of, wow. a, of a blink. And it hit me, and and the bell rung in my head, and I couldn't. I thought I was dead because the, I knew. I thought I was dead because my right eye went black, black immediately, and I thought, okay, this is this is the great mystery. Everything goes black. Right. This is it. Okay. Oh right. shit! All that stuff I had said about religion. Nah, goddamn it. Right. <laughs> I have um, to take it all back now. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I when that had happened, I you know I then a few moments later realized when I was on the ground and bleeding profusely from my face that oh shit, I had not died in fact, and this right. rocket hit me in the head and just I couldn't even begin to calculate how the hell that happened or why it happened or how it managed to hit me and. You know, it's really a trillion to one shot. Uh, as you yes. mentioned, yeah, I shouldn't be here. I should have been sent home in a in a tuna tin can. There's right. not, there should have been hardly anything left of me. And and in fact, an RPG had hit one of the up armored vehicles uh, from that same company a day before, and it had disabled the vehicle. I had wow. to be towed back to the base. So wow. why it went off, we'll never know exactly. I have a I have a theory, but. It just it just so happens that I survived, and it blinded me in my right eye, crushed all the bones in the side of my face, and I had to go through all these surgeries and, and managed to, to come out the other end. You know, memoir, the story of most memoirs is the same, which is the worst thing that happened to me was maybe the best thing that happened to me. You know, the, the, the crucible of the thing that you would never wish on yourself is transformative. This is always the story of memoir, and it's one of the reasons I love it. And that's true of you, too. Can you talk about what was on the other side? I mean, of course, there was tremendous pain. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of loss. But what was on the other side of that, besides writing this book, what was on the other side of losing your eye and, and all the pain? And, and what was on the other side of it for you? Well, for me, it was um, discovering this voice. Uh, I knew I had it, but having the opportunity to use it, um, was transformative in my just in my perception of how it was something that I always wanted to do. I knew it had to come out. I was hoping right. that that writing it was going to be some grand catharsis. It wasn't. Um, right. It was, uh, but it did provide me with some much needed perspective. Of course, I had. Yeah. Um, it, it, it two years had passed since the t- since what had happened, and and from when I started to write the book. And during that two years, I collected a lot of notes and, you know, was retracing my steps. I was basically just reliving that injury every single day until I finally said, okay, I have to sit down. I have to put everything else aside, my personal, professional, everything to get this story out. And once I was able to do it, it made it so that I could um, breathe a little bit more, come to better terms of what had happened to me and hopefully, um, you know, not dwell on it as much as I, as I used to. I mean, I still think about it every day, several times sure. a day, but it's, it's not all, as all consuming as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that was helpful. Yeah. Well, it'll keep changing. It'll keep changing, you know, um, as you change, even your, the, how you tell the story will probably change. It's just, I found that to be the case. Um, that is true. Well, 
It just will. It just will. The past, the, st- the past is funny. Uh, I mean, you're, you, it's, it's mo- most memoirists do not have a video of the moment, the big thing they're writing about. Right. You know, it's always buried right. in the recesses of their imagination, and yours is cemented in this exterior reality. But even with that, your story of it's going to keep changing. I have no doubt. Well, so all right, Carmen. So you've written that book, and, and so it was published about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, right. I, and you, and so are you, are you? gearing up for another what's what's on tap for you i i do have another book uh i've written a first draft or what i like to call the dumpster fire draft it's not a true first draft in that it's just everything goes into it and and it's an amorphous blob of of with some good ideas and some and it needs to be shaped so i have that it's a collection of short stories that spanned 20 years and it starts in the late 90s when uh, uh, I first moved to Cairo and all my all my assorted shenanigans as I'm preparing to be to learn how to become a journalist and, and whatnot and it, and it goes through my time in Washington DC when I was a journalist there and covered September 11 uh, and then the, there's personal pitfalls along the way uh, there are even chapters in there that were uh, excluded from Blindsided by the Taliban um, that uh, I've included in this book. So I consider the second book that I'm working on uh, a wraparound companion to, uh, to Blindsided by the Taliban. Well, I look forward to reading it. I look forward to reading okay. it. I quite, enjoyed, I quite enjoyed Blindsided. I look forward to reading this, whatever shape it's in. Uh, not quite ready to let you go. Our time is almost up here, but before I do... Uh, so first of all, if people say this guy's so cool, I, I need to have him come speak to my journalism school. You're going to become a professor or something like that. If people just want to get to l- learn more about you, get in contact with you. What's the best way to do it? Well, uh, for speaking uh, opportunities, you can reach my speakers bureau, which is called Gravity Speakers, G-R-A-V-I-T-Y Speakers. If you Google Gravity Speakers, Carmen Gentile. You will uh, find uh, my uh, profile there and how to contact me for speaking engagements. Otherwise, look for me on social media. I'm the guy with the eye patch and the girl's name. (laughs) Look at you. All right, I got one more question for you, Carmen. Uh, Finish this sentence. If writing has, just writing, period, has taught you anything, it's taught you what? That, uh, well, first of all, it's taught me a great deal of humility. Uh, because there's, you can only uh, write about your worst day uh, for so long with with uh, this notion of uh, this, this delusional notion of bravado. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, uh, it's taught me humility and it's taught me humanity. Ah, oh, those are good things to learn, Carmen. Yeah. Those are good things. Uh, well, listen. I think so. Thanks for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is great. My- my pleasure. All right, people. Listen, next week is Thanksgiving. I will not be having a show, but I'll be back the week after that talking to somebody else. Until then, thank you, RJ Jeffries, my fabulous producer, and thank you to all out there. Have a good Thanksgiving. In the meantime, find something you love to do and go do it. Mm-hmm.